Yeah, so lease versus buy, right? We get this question all the time with respect to automobiles. So we're not talking about equipment. We're not talking about, um, you know, buying a, uh, a building or leasing a building, specifically with respect to automobiles and self-employed individuals, okay? Uh, self-employed and uh, incorporated? Yeah, whether you're incorporated or not, right? Yep. So from this particular perspective, what I want to talk about is um, sort of the over an overview of the mechanics of the taxation of uh, leasing versus buying an automobile. And we're going to just talk about standard gas-powered automobiles. We're not going to be talking about massive work trucks. We're not going to be talking about zero-emission vehicles because there's different rules for those. And I think those are very specific to uh, specific individuals. So we can cover that later. But, um, you know, what is the, what is the number one question you get from clients or from prospects? So I'm going to say, welcome to smarten up with JP and fab today. We're going to talk about, uh, whether you lease versus buy a vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're an employee, it doesn't uh, pertain to you, but if you are a small business owner, um, this is a, one of the questions we get the most, do, do I lease my vehicle or do I buy it? And it's also one of the questions that I hate answering the most. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to leasing or buying a vehicle, the way I always work through it with the client or with a prospect is very simple. Let's start with the practicality of, of the vehicle you're purchasing and how you are with vehicles. Are you the type of person that wants to switch vehicles every four years? or do you want to drive the vehicle into the ground, right? If you're the type of person who wants to drive the vehicle into the ground, put tax aside and just buy the car, right? Your, your leasing makes no sense because from the leasing perspective, oftentimes what's happening is you're paying a lease for four years and then there's a buyout at the end and you end up paying more money, right? So from that particular perspective, when you're looking at that that decision it's actually not necessarily just a tax decision it's also a finance decision yeah right? and, uh, you know maybe uh maybe like five or six years ago i started to actually just talk about that and say right. look are, are you a real estate agent are you putting on forty thousand kilometers a year when you're only entitled to 20 to twenty-four thousand, and you're gonna owe 50 cents a kilometer going back uh right away, this makes no sense for you to, to lease uh, unless you can negotiate something for your trade-in at the end. So that's why lease versus buy to me is like one of those things. It's, it's you know, I don't even care because from a tax perspective, there are differences, but the overall, are you driving too much um, really factors in more than the tax implication. Right. So like successful real estate agents just drive a lot and they're gonna exceed the kilometer limit uh, on any lease. So it doesn't make any sense from a practicality perspective, right? right. Uh, the, the mechanics of lease versus buy, you know, the, these rules, I think they were set something like 20, 30 years ago and they haven't changed and there hasn't been an increase in limitations, uh, even though, you know, auto prices have drastically increased, the cost of driving has increased over the last, two to three decades, which is, it blows my mind, but it, it is what it is. That's what we're dealing with. Right. So from the perspective of, let's start with buy, right? If you're going to buy an automobile, you made the decision to buy an automobile, um, you have certain limits, okay? 
in essence, do you have an automobile that is less than $30,000 when you buy it or more than $30,000? And in today's world, everything's more than 30 grand, you know, unless you're buying a, a used vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's that. And then there's a limitation. If you decide to finance the vehicle, there's a limitation on the amount of interest that you can take. And that doesn't, hasn't really changed. Right. So to further, to further that you're looking at, if you're buying a vehicle, you're looking at CCA rates, which is an amortize, a tax amortization that you're allowed, uh, to deduct against income, uh, to reduce tax payable. That is 30% of 30,000 limit. Right. So you can classify your car in two broad categories. Those that cost under 30,000. Okay. Uh, those go under class 10, those that cost more than 30,000, they go under class 10.1. They both depreciate at 30% per year. Okay. With, you know, differences in the first year, the last year, so on and so forth. But the idea is, um, you basically take 30% per year on a declining balance. And that's your auto write-off in addition to insurance, gas, maintenance, uh, licensing, and those other costs. So, so an example is if you bought a vehicle, it is 30,000 in year one, uh, we're going to pretend there, okay, there is a half year rule, but it's accelerated and gets rid of the half year rule. Ignore that. You're going to get 30% on 30,000. So you're going to get a $9,000 deduction if you're driving 100% for business purposes. Right. In year two, you're going to have a beginning balance of 21000 which you're going to get 30% on. So it goes from 9000 to like 63000 to like 4500 Right. It just keeps going down the CCA that you get as an expense each year. Right. Exactly. Now, the difference between a class 10 and a 10.1 is that class 10.1 in the year of disposition, the year that you sell, you take 15% amortization or CCA and you just sell the car and nothing happens. With um, a a class 10, the autos that cost less than 30,000, you have to, you take half CCA, but you also have um, the potential for recapture or terminal loss. Meaning that if you sell the auto for more than the depreciated cost on your books, you have to add back um, recapture, which comes back dollar for dollar as business income. Or if you sell for less, you get a terminal loss, meaning that you get a, an additional deduction in that particular year. Okay. That doesn't happen with class 10.1. They're right. just like, just walk away, take your half year of, of CCA and just walk away from it. And, and, and the differing, uh, the differing between 10 and 10.1, you know, again, if you bought a $30,000 vehicle, it goes into class 10, you get to write off 30,000 over the life of the asset per CCA rates. Um, 10.1, if you bought a $70,000 vehicle, which is more in line with what things cost, uh, you only get to write off $30,000 still. So I wanted people to understand yeah, hundred percent. So your cap is thirty grand. You're also capped at, I believe, ten bucks a day or three hundred bucks a month on interest on the car. Okay. Okay. So if you go out and take a massive car loan, um, it doesn't matter. You're capped, right? So, it, you know, obviously the intention of of Parliament, the intention of the government here, it's pretty clear. Look, we're going to give you a reasonable cap on on buying autos and writing it off. So. You know, when they came up with the rule, 
I guess $30,000 and above were expensive cars at that time. And they haven't changed it, but it is what it is, right? So they don't want you going out and buying luxury cars or if they're saying, hey, you wanna buy a luxury car, buy a luxury car, drive it for business, we don't care. You're limited, you're limited to $30,000 and $300 a month in interest, right? Now, from the lease perspective, this is where it gets actually um, a lot more complicated, right? You'll hear accountants and people saying, hey, you know, you can basically write off $800 a month. And, you know, in most cases that's true, but it's actually a more complicated formula. And the formula is based on the, the amount of lease you're paying, the monthly lease you're paying, how much you've taken as a deduction prior to the year you're making the deduction, along with other fa another factor, the manufacturer's suggested retail price of the vehicle that you're driving, okay? And what happens here is, in essence, the, the formula works out to a maximum of, or the lesser of the actual lease payments, or $800, or a modification of that limit based on the manufacturer's suggested retail price of the auto. So it's actually difficult to really just talk about it. You actually have to run it through the, the calculation, but it actually depends on um, the interplay between the value of the car uh, as it is, as the manufacturer suggests the value of the car to be, along with the total lease payment. And you could actually get, if you, if you lease a very expensive car, you can actually get ground down below $800 a month in your, limita in your limitation. So from that particular perspective, it's a decision that you actually should, when you're making the decision, you know, between lease and buy, assuming that there's no issues with kilometer overages or whatever, you're completely neutral from a non-tax perspective. What you should be doing is actually doing the calculation for the period of time that you think you're going to own the car and seeing what comes out to a better deal, right? Because if you're buying a very expensive car, it's clear that parliament, that the government does not want you buying or excuse me, leasing an extremely expensive car, like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or some sort of exotic automobile and taking advantage of uh, the fact that you can take a deduction, right? right. But now if we're going to, we're going to pretend we're not dealing with people buying Ferraris. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you're buying a, a $70,000 vehicle, right. The lease payment on that is probably going to be hovering in around 800 bucks. If you're buying, you know, a Range Rover, you're more at $1,200. Yeah. So, you know, again, if you're in that $70,000 range, you, you're going to be hovering around the you should $800. Be fine. You should be fine. Yeah. Right? It's when there's a discrepancy between the, the overall suggested retail price of the car and the lease payment they they it looks like it's hard it was hard for me to find what the intentions were because this is an old rule but um it, it appears that they want to stop people from playing around with the purchase price at the end of the lease um, to drop the lease so that you get 800 dollars then you purchase the auto after, and then you get the class 10.1. They're trying to stop people from playing with the lease, it looks like, um, and sort of getting, a, getting away with leasing a very expensive luxury vehicle. Right. I think that's, that's what the intention is. 
So, I mean, I don't think we can go on too much further about this. No, it would be very technical. So you're you're looking at potentially $9,600 a month if you're leasing a vehicle. Uh, per year, yeah. Per year, sorry. Yeah. Uh, $800 a month, $9,600 a year yeah. is your max write-off if you're driving 100% for, for yeah. business purposes versus CCA going in at, you know, 9000 one year one, yeah. uh, 6300 down to 4500 So yeah. the tax benefit is leaning more towards leasing. Now, not, not necessarily because okay. if you if you borrow... To, if you're borrowing, you also get the interest. Don't right. forget about that. That's about right. thirty six hundred bucks a year. Right. And, added to it. And 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 that's you know I yeah I guess you're right. right. It depends on. We the, can't forget about that. That that there's that factor as well. Right. So yeah. I guess I guess based yeah. on those numbers, you're you're almost even. Then. And then there's the fact that when you buy when you pay for the car, right, you have to look at the fact that you know you're going to pay it down and you're going to own the car, whereas you have to buy it out. So it's. Overall, it's not just necessarily a tax question. It's, you know, it's a finance 101 question, right? Like lease versus buy, then the terminal value and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot, there's a lot that goes into the calculation. And it looks like the way when you review the rules, it looks like they're trying to equalize the decision between lease and buy. And it's like, hey, make the decision based on the practicality of whether you want to own the car or you want to lease it. 100%. I think that's usually when we talk to people our our thing is hey you know do you want to own it or do you want to lease it because from a tax perspective you should be neutral there should be no incentive right either way now right? now we'll touch we'll touch quickly on the follow-up question that we always get do we lease versus buy is do we do this in our personal name or our company name right so to me there is no difference i mean there's an insurance you have to consider, does your insurance company know that you own this or you're driving for business? Ignore that. I mean, you're either looking at, at the end of the year, charging the company back for business use that you've paid personally, and that's if you own the car personally, or you're getting what's called a standby charge where the company owns the vehicle, and now at the end of the year, the company is charging you back for personal use of the business vehicle. Um, Fab, what way, what way do you tell people to go on this? So I always start with the question, are you going to be using this automobile primarily for business? And the primarily for business, what I mean is if you tally up, if you take an auto log, which you're supposed to do, okay? are 90% plus of the kilometers driven for business? If the answer is no, then I say, hey, look, we're, we're getting into that area where you this is probably not really a business automobile. It's a personal automobile that you sometimes use for business. And that's where it gets a little bit dangerous to throw it into your corporation, right? Um, the reason being is then we have to calculate the standby charge at the end of the year, add it to your T4 as a taxable benefit, um, and it becomes complicated to calculate. It's a hassle and, you know, it, it's up for grabs with the, with the CRA, whether, whether or not you've done it correctly. Okay. If the automobile will be primarily used for business, a great example is that, of that is, look, you have a realtor. Okay. Um, you know, let's say mom is a realtor. Dad works a T4 job. Dad takes, you know, ignore COVID. Dad takes the GO train to downtown every day and they have the minivan at home. 
and mom drives the BMW around all day, every day, primarily to, to do showings, okay? I'm really comfortable taking that Beamer and putting it into mom's um, prec or her, or her corporation because really the family car is the minivan. And that's where they go with the kids. That's, that's where the personal driving is done to Costco and whatnot. Whereas her car is pretty clear 90% or more of it is going to be used to generate business revenue. And she can back that up with an, with a legitimate auto log. So that's the first thing. That's the first, uh, step that I do when making the decision, whether to put it in the corporation or not. The second step, um, that I'm looking at, whether you put it in the corporation or not is the practicality of it, right? You know, is this always going to be used as a business vehicle? Cause it's a hassle to get a, a, a car out of a corporation into your hands. It could be done, but it, it is a bit of a hassle, right? So there's the practicality standpoint. If it's a work truck and you're in the construction industry, it's a, yeah, you're putting it in, in the corporation. Now, when we get into that area where it's like, Hey, it's like 60, 70% business use. That's where I say, you know what, maybe it's just easier and more practical to purchase a car personally and take a charge back for the actual business use, um, based on your auto log. Cause once again, you know, as annoying as it sounds, you need to be taking an auto log and you need to be keeping good records. Right. right. And for, and for this, our, we're, we're calculating gas for the year. We're ca- calculating lease payments for the year. Um, and what are we doing? Is that the way you're going or yeah, I mean, you are can you go, going? Uh, you can go a couple ways, right? If you're an employee of the, of the corporation, then I suppose technically you can, you can just take a chargeback based on the prescribed rate, which I can't remember what it is right now. I think it's gone up to like 58 cents on the first 5,000 kilometers, then drops after that. Right. And you know, that is, um, it's based on a cl- per kilometer basis. You make a, you know, same way that you would do at a big company, you, you submit a kilometer log and you get cut a check. The company takes the deduction, you get a re- something called a reasonable allowance and it's non-taxable to you for use of your personal auto. That's a simple way to do it. Um, it's a clean way to do it. The other way to do it, I suppose, would be to tally up for the fiscal year of your corporation, all the expenses related to driving um, and then t- apportioning it, right? right? But from that particular perspective, do you get CCA? like? You know what I mean? So I think that the the practical way to do it would be to take um to take a uh, uh a, what do you call it uh, a chargeback right for for what it is that you're you're doing. I've never really seen that challenged. Um, I've I've seen uh I've seen the other way challenged. Right. Um, at a low court, I believe uh, it was denied by a low court judge, uh, tax court of Canada judge. Um mainly because the T2200, which is the contract between the employer and the employee, the judge argued that, well, that contract is not enforceable because the employee of the corporation owns the corporation. So they threw it out. But it remains to be seen, in my opinion, exactly how that would be treated. The idea, though, is, and when I look at it, is are you using the auto for business? If you are using the auto for business and you can prove it and you can back it up, you should be able to take some sort of a deduction right. for auto expenses. And just so yeah. everyone knows, I mean, this is, this is uh, it, it, you can tell how confusing this topic is. Um, me personally, I keep my vehicle out of the company. 
Um, because I don't, I use it for personal and I just do a chargeback on a monthly basis and I kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's all, it's also a, a matter, once again, there's a lot of practicality matters, right? Buying a car, a car in a corporation can be, you know, it can be a little bit, um, it, it can be a little bit, uh, extra in terms of paperwork and in terms of insurance and in terms of getting qualifying for a lease or qualifying for a loan. Uh, so there are other considerations as well, but from a tax perspective, once again, it should be neutral between lease and buy. And from the tax perspective of a corporation is, is it really a, a truly a business automobile? Yeah. If it is, then go ahead, buy it in your corp. If it's not, you probably shouldn't buy it in your corp because right. it's going to be a hassle. Okay. Yeah. I say, keep it simple. Keep it yeah. out. <laughs> Unless it's, unless it should yeah. be in. Yeah. Yeah. Like a work vehicle for sure. Pickup truck for construction, right? Like that kind of stuff, you know, right. it's a, it's, it's more obvious, but if, if it's questionable, it's probably, you're going to want to keep it out. Okay, cool. Yeah.